Amen. So, um, our focus is uh, for the year, or the main focus for the year, is uh, discipleship. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, and last week we spoke about rooted. Anyone here last week? Yeah, we spoke about two people were here last week. Wow, awesome. <laughs> there were lots of, people, lots of you here last week. Most of you, I'm sure. And we spoke about rooted when we talk about tree roots and, and things like that, and about being being rooted in God. That God wants us to be so deeply rooted in Him. That through the circumstances and the storms and the, the waves and the winds of life, God wants us to be so strongly rooted in uh, who he is, for our roots to go deep in him. Amen? And wants us to grow in him, that God has an agenda for our lives. It shouldn't be a shock to us. That God has an agenda for, for my life. God has an agenda for your life. And there's things he wants us to do for him. But ultimately, his, his first purpose is to make you more and more like him. That's his, that's his main agenda your life is to make you more and more Christ-like so um, and I talked last week about we're going to be looking at different series um, over the years to kind of help us to be more deeply rooted in him so today we're starting Christology exciting Christology is going to lots of ologies there's four ologies we do through the year which I mentioned last week and we're going to look at Christology and so this series is called Jesus is Jesus is so we're looking at it's going to be the study of Jesus and today we're going to be looking at is Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's going to how we're going to kick this, kick this off. So it's going to be good. There you go. It's on the screen for you. Awesome. So it's going to be a bit of a whistle-stop tour. If you're taking notes, keep up. Um, that's all messages. You can listen to them later. I think we've had a few issues with that recently. But anyway, it should be uploaded this week. Um, so you can listen to it later as well on Spotify and on the website. So what is Christology? What, is that, what, is that even, what does that even mean? So the word Christology it comes from two Greek words, which of course was a common written language in the New Testament times. And, and you know, the first word meaning Christ or Messiah. Okay, they're exactly the, exactly the same thing. Christ is just a Greek word for Messiah. And Messiah means anointed one. Anointed one. Jesus was, a, was fulfilling all those prophecies as the, as the coming Messiah, or in the written language Greek, it was Christ. So Christ is not Jesus' surname. Okay? <laughs> it was, yeah, Mary and Joseph weren't Mr. and Mrs. Christ. And yeah, we say Jesus Christ, that wasn't his surname. Okay? It's a description of who he is. It's Jesus, the anointed one. Okay? That's what it means. And Messiah means exactly the same thing, but in Hebrew. Okay? So we're all clear on that. So it's a word Christology comes from two words, Greek words meaning Christ, and the other word, the ology, but it means, means word or kind of the study of, okay? So it literally means the study of Christ. But like theology itself, theos is the Greek word for God, so the theology is the study of God, okay? So Christology is a study of Christ, okay? So that's what we're doing. So it's a study of the person and work of Jesus, and, and all that he did. And it's really important for us to, to be rooted in this, for us to fully understand who Jesus is and what that means for our, not, not to be, again, just to be dry theology, but for us to really understand what does that mean for us? What does that mean for me? What does it mean that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Okay? Everyone keeping up? Awesome. So why is it really important to have a clear understanding of the person and work of Jesus? Why does that even matter? There's kind of four things I'm just going to mention here. So firstly, uh, because of our relationship with him. By understanding who Jesus fully is, then we can know him better. Amen? By understanding who he fully is, then we can know him better. In any relationship, any natural relationship, you know, whether it's friendship or, or you know, with parents or with siblings or in a marriage situation, whatever the circumstances 
you know, hopefully over time you get to know each other better, isn't it? That's part of building relationship, isn't it? And hopefully in a, in a fruitful relationship, that's kind of how, how it should work. And, and that's how God desires it for it to be with us, how Jesus desires it to be, for us to get to know him better. Amen? But that means understanding who he fully is. The second is why it's important to have a clear understanding of who Jesus is, his person, the work of Jesus, our mission, so we can understand his purpose for coming to earth 2,000 years ago. So we can fully understand what it was all about. Why did Jesus come to earth 2,000 years ago? Why was that important? Why was that necessary? Number three, benefits, so that we can both know and live in the good of what, he achi- what Jesus achieved for us in his death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation, ascension back to heaven. Amen? So we can understand what that means for our, for our lives. So we can know and live in the good of what he achieved for us. Amen? Amen. And number four, uh, to validate. What I mean by that, so we're able to distinguish genuine from, from counterfeit. To know what Jesus really is. What, what is truth? What is the truth about who Jesus was? In fact, Jesus said in the, in the end times, of course, we're living in the, in the end times and have been for thousands of years, but it's kind of, you know, even more into the end times. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 5, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So this is why it's really important to understand who is Jesus, what is he all about, what did he do, and for us not to be, not to be in any way deceived. Matthew 24, same chapter, in verse 24, it says, for false, Jesus said, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So even those who kind of, you know, the 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 elect, those, those who have been called by God, you know, could potentially get deceived if they don't understand who Jesus is. That's why it's so, so important, okay? It's important for our relationship with Jesus uh, to understand the mission of what he did for us, to understand the, and his purpose for coming, to understand the benefits and all that he's won for us and to validate so we can understand who Jesus is and what any kind of like counterfeit teaching or anything that's not truth. Does that make sense? Great. So we need to know that Jesus is the Christ. You know, there are so many opinions, aren't there, in our, in our world about who Jesus was or who, who Jesus is. Um, you know, if, and I, I did this once, I just stuck it into Google, like, who is Jesus? And you'll come up with like a thousand different opinions about who Jesus is. There's a lot of respect for Jesus in a lot of, across the faiths, which is quite interesting. Um, there's a lot of respect for Jesus. So Buddhists respect Jesus. Muslims believe that Jesus was a, was a prophet, but not that he was the son of God. So there's kind of respect for Jesus in lots of different um, aspects. Okay, but, you need to, but people need to know who Jesus truly is. Some people think he's a myth, you know, but no serious historians uh, don't believe that Jesus existed. They all, they all come to the conclusion um, that Jesus was a real person and really did uh, exist. Okay, so we kind of like we can deal with that one, obviously. Okay, and we know for ourselves that Jesus is real anyway. Okay, but lots of people have different opinions. Some people think he was just a good teacher. Some people are like, yeah, I like some of what he said and didn't like some other things about what he said. Some people don't believe that that the scriptures are reliable. So it's like, well, yeah, Christians may think that he said that, but he didn't really say that. Okay, so there's loads of different opinions, isn't there, out in society about who Jesus is, um, who Jesus is. And, and what he's all about. And for us as believers, we need to truly know that, don't we? We need to have a personal revelation of who Jesus is as a Christ and as a son of God. Amen? In Matthew 16, verse 15 to 17, kind of like, almost like a, into kind of a uh, who is Jesus Google moment in kind of 2,000 years ago. Jesus asked his disciples, about who do people say the son of man is? Because all kind of rumors were going around. And in Matthew 16, verse 15 to 17, it says this. He said to them, 
Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am to the disciples? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of a living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you Simon, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but by my father who is in heaven. It also goes on to say that some were saying it was like Elijah, some say Elijah, that it was kind of like Elijah come back to dead, or Elijah kind of a new revelation of Elijah, or kind of a new appearance of Elijah. Some say that John the Baptist had come, to, had come back from the dead because by this, this, uh, by this time he'd been beheaded. So people kind of have all these kind of crazy rumors <laughs> that were going around about who Jesus is, and of course the religious leaders really didn't understand who Jesus was, and they obviously should have been the ones who who had the kind of first revelation. You know, as he fulfilled scriptures, should have had the full revelation of who he was. They didn't really get who he was. Either thought he was a deceiver, thought he was confused, they thought he was being used by Satan. You know, they made all sorts of accusations uh, against him. So there were loads of different opinions at that time, uh, just like there are these days. But we need to, so we need to know who Jesus is. Amen. So, so uh, Peter has this incredible revelation, which comes from God Himself. It says, "Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my Father who is in heaven." So Peter had known Jesus naturally as a person that he'd walked alongside him, but here he came, had a revelation of this true identity and purpose. Man, they kind of just walked together as, as, as a you know as a human, as a man, along with the other disciples. And Jesus had come, follow me, and they'd they'd followed him. So they must have seen something in Jesus, you know, to leave their nets, to leave their business, uh, to leave. Um, uh, someone left their parents, like uh, James and John did, left, left uh, Zebedee, what a great name, <laughs> Zebedee, their dad, who was also a fisherman, and they had their fishing business as well. Um, so they must have seen something in Jesus, right? But essentially, they're just kind of like following him as like a human, as a good teacher, or they often called him rabbi, which was a Jewish name for teacher. But here, Pete has a revelation of who Jesus really was. He was more than, he's more than just a man. He actually is the Christ, the anointed one. Amen had a revelation that Jesus came with a purpose and was anointed by God for a purpose. Amen. And we need that same revelation for ourselves. Acts 10 verse 38 says this, talks about the, the anointing upon Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Now he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That's what he was anointed to do. Amen. To destroy the works of the evil one. Amen. To, to, do, to go around doing good, to, to bring healing, amen, under the power of an anointing of, of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is who Jesus was, the anointed one, amen. Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, Jesus reads this about himself. He's quote, quoting from Isaiah 61. He's reading a scroll. It tells us he's reading from Isaiah 61, but he's reading it about himself. It says, this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, uh, for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the Lord's of, year of the Lord's favor. And it goes on to say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. To make the point, this, Jesus, this, this has now been fulfilled. This is written by Isaiah thousands of years before, but it's now being fulfilled today in me. That's what Jesus was saying. Amen. Praise God. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at a number of related subjects about Jesus and and him being the Christ helps us to paint a correct, a really uh, good picture, correct picture of who he was, is, and will always be. Amen. It's so so important for us to have this foundational, um, you know, understanding of who Jesus is. Amen. You're still with me. Excellent. Great. 
So there's kind of two main aspects we're going to look at um, today. And the first one is the pre-existence of Jesus, the pre-existence of Christ. Now this means that Jesus existed, and hopefully we all understand this as believers, this means that Jesus existed before his conception and birth in a manger. Everyone good with that, right? That Jesus existed. That was when he came in human form, you know, through the, through the Virgin Mary, conceived, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We celebrate this particularly at Christmas, of course. Okay, but Jesus already existed, right? At the time that, that Jesus was born, that was not, or even the time of conception, that was not Jesus coming into existence. Everyone happy with that? <laughs> Good with that, right? That's the reality. Amen? Now, and there's tons of uh, scriptures in the New Testament that speak in one way or another about the pre-existence of Christ. And we're going to kind of look at those, look at those quickly this morning. So here's, here's some good examples. Uh, John, verse one, uh, John 1, verses 1 and verse 14. John says about the word becoming flesh. Which, which obviously strongly implies that he existed before his incarnation, amen, before he was born as a baby. John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Sorry, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen? So it was the Word becoming, become, becoming flesh, becoming in human form, but it already existed. Amen? Jesus is eternal, just like, just like um, all the other aspects of, you know, all the other parts of the Trinity. Amen, of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is eternal. Okay, secondly, Jesus himself teaches his pre-existence in a, whole, in a number of scriptures. Um, he said he had glory with the Father before the world was. John 17, verse 5, says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Amen. So Jesus himself is teaching about his pre-existence that he'd always, that he'd always been. Jesus even says that he existed prior to Abraham's birth, even though Abraham's birth preceded Jesus' own birth by, by many centuries, of course. John 8, verse 58 to 59, this really wound up the religious leaders, bless them, um, at the time. This is, this is, uh, Jesus goes, says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up, and they, they totally, under, the religious leaders totally understood the point of what Jesus was saying here. That he, this was him claiming deity for himself. I'm not just a human. You need to understand. I'm kind of paraphrasing now. But you, you need to understand this, guys. I'm not just a human. Even before Abraham was born, I am, I, I was. Amen? They totally understood this because the next verse says that they were furious. They're like, well, who is this? Who is this guy? And in, in, in the Old Testament, under, under Jewish law, Old Testament Jewish law, you know, if someone claimed to have uh, to have a deity, to be a deity, to be divine, then they should be stoned. So, so what they were doing, they were totally understanding who Jesus was or what Jesus was claiming. The next verse says it this: they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. If Jesus hadn't been correct, hadn't been truthful in saying he was divine, then they would have had every right to stone him. That's what the law said. So obviously, they they just weren't getting a revelation, were they, at this stage? But they totally understood what, understood what he was claiming. Yeah. That he'd always been. Verse four, uh, number four, not verse four, number four. Paul also referring to Christ says that Christ was rich and then became poor, that he was in the form of God, but humbled himself, that he was before all things. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 17 talks about this. Says, Paul writes this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For, all, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen? So again, just reaffirming this. About, but Jesus has always existed, even at creation itself. Jesus was, Jesus was there. Amen? Jesus pre-existing, pre-existing in his divinity is further proven by him being the object of worship repeatedly, repeatedly in the Gospels. Over and over and over again, it talks about the people worshipped him. Now, of course, the first, first of the Ten Commandments is worship the Lord your God and him only. Right? You know, Jesus never rejected worship. I would agree, right? He never rejected worship. Jesus didn't reject um, adoration. He saw that worship as entirely appropriate. And in that, Jesus was totally claiming to be Yahweh himself, the Lord God. Because obviously, it would have been blasphemy otherwise. I mean, that, that's, that's true. It would have been, wouldn't it? If Jesus wasn't God himself, how could people, people worship him? Jesus should have said, hang on a minute. You should only be worshipping worshiping the Father. This is wrong. But Jesus never rejected worship. Matthew 28, verse 8 to 9, just after the resurrections happened, it says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And you see this over and over again when it talks about how Jesus was worshipped. Jesus implied that he had, this again talking about his divinity, he had authority over the Sabbath. You can read that. I've got time to look at all these scriptures because there's tons. Okay, that's in Mark 2, verse 28, if you're taking notes. He also said he had the authority to abolish the law. That's in Ephesians 2, verse 14 uh, to 15. Now, if you weren't, weren't divine, then that stuff would be blasphemy, wouldn't it? If you weren't divine and you hadn't always pre-existed and you weren't God himself. Amen? So there's a great truth that Jesus pre-existed. Amen? There's always been, always will be. Amen? So pre-existence is, is defined as existence in a former state or previous to something else. In the case of Jesus Christ, his pre-existence means that before he became a man and walked upon the earth, he was already in existence as the second person of the triune God. Amen? The Bible not only explicitly teaches this doctrine, but also implies this fact at various points throughout the Gospels and, and Paul's letters. In addition, Jesus' own actions reveal his divine identity and as a consequence, his pre-existence. So everyone good with that? And Jesus has always been and always will be. And there's so many scriptures we can look at about his pre-existence. Amen. Kind of the second uh, aspect I want to look at this morning about the prophecies of Jesus. Amen. There are so many prophecies throughout the Old Testament about Jesus, about who he's going to be, and, and different kind of uh, types and shadows of Jesus, kind of how they're, how they're described. Um, when I believe the, the kind of pre-incarnate Jesus kind of like just kind of appears. You know, if you're looking for him, you'll find him. Amen. In every in every single book of the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus. Jesus in there somewhere. Some some places are really overt. I think that what Adam and Eve says about God was walking them in the cool, walking amongst them in the cool of the day. I believe that's a pre-incarnate Jesus. And you see that in the you know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, th- are thrown into the furnace, and and even uh, even Nebuchadnezzar, kind of the king, the heathen king, was like, hang on a minute, it's like a fourth guy in there with him, and he looks like one of the sons son of the gods. I believe that's a pre-incarnate Jesus. So you kind of just see this over and over again, and you can, so you can find him in every every book. Uh, of the Old Testament. Remember, that's the purpose of the Old Testament. It's all about pointing towards Jesus and a need for Jesus, who Jesus was going to be, and that Jesus was going to pay the price you know, once for all for, for our sins and bring us into, into relationship or full relationship with God. Amen? So the whole load of types and shadows of Jesus and, and also a whole bunch of clear prophecies that speak of Jesus and his redemptive work 
You know, they correspond precisely with the moments and achievements uh, that Jesus, uh, Jesus did in, as recorded in the New Testament. Here kind of some, uh, some familiar ones. I'm just going to read, just to give you the references, okay, because we'll run out of time otherwise. Okay, uh, the birth of Jesus uh, is prophesied in Genesis. If you're making notes, write these down. Genesis 3.15, Galatians 4, verse 4. About the, specifically about the birth of Jesus and who he was going to be. About his lineage. He was, he was prophesied to be, a, to be the son of David to come from, to come from that line. And that's why he, it was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem, which was, a, which was you know, the city of David. Genesis 49, verse 10, and Luke 3.33. Good ones for that. It talks about his place of birth, so specifically about Bethlehem. That's in Micah five verse two, Luke two verse four to seven. If you remember when they, if you remember when the um, uh, when the wise men, however many wise men there were, uh, the, the wise men, the magi, uh, went to look for Jesus, and and they came to Herod, and kind of Herod kind of got his like his guys who knew the scriptures, um, got them to look into it. They 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 read don't they a prophecy about Jesus? He was going to be born in, in Bethlehem. They actually go and tell. Tell the wise men to go and look in Bethlehem. That's where you're going to find the where you're going to find the baby. So it had been very, very clearly prophesied, and people understood that. Um, it's very clearly prophesied that he was a prophet who was to come. You can read about that in Deuteronomy uh, 18:15 uh, and verses 18 to 19 in Deuteronomy 18, um, Acts 3 verse 20 uh, to 22 as well. Talks talks about that. Amen. Uh, specific prophecies about his betrayal and what was going to happen pre the cross. Psalm 41 verse 9, Luke 22 verse 47 uh, to 48. And some really, really specific stuff. The fact that Jesus was going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver was specifically prophesied in Zechariah 11 verses 11 to 12. Matthew 26 verse 15, Matthew 27 1 to 10 is where that gets fulfilled. Uh, there's prophecies about Jesus' violent death in Zechariah 12 verse 10. And John 20, verse 27, that gets fulfilled. There's prophecies about his resurrection in Psalm 16, verse 10. And you can read about that in Luke 24, verse 7, Acts 2, 25 to 28. I hope you're keeping up. <laughs> Maybe I'll email some of this stuff out, It'll be, make it easier. And his, his exaltation to God's right hand was prophesied in Psalm 110, uh, verse 1. And you kind of see that fulfilled in Acts 2, verse 33 to 34. And of course, Isaiah 53, which I'm sure many of you know, um, an incredible chapter um, of Isaiah that talks about the fact he's going to be, you know, he's going to be that by his stripes or by his wounds that we are healed, he's going to take all our transgressions and all our sin uh, upon them. That great kind of prophetic uh, chapter about who the Jesus was going to be is, is the suffering, the suffering servant. Amen. It's an incredible uh, chapter. So have a read of Isaiah 53. So Jesus actually fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his earthly life and ministry. And it's mentioned in, in, in a type or shadow of who he was going to be, um, up to, or, or in prophecy itself, up to 570 times through the Old Testament. That's a lot of prophecies, right? Or different types of shadows of who he, he was going to be. And sometimes these kind of, as I said, these random people would turn up. You know, Melchizedek the priest is another one. And it talks about in Hebrews how Jesus was a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And he's kind of like pre-incarnate Jesus kind of turned up in, in his various, various places. Amen. And it's just it's just amazing that how God just made the whole thing just 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 fit together. You couldn't possibly um if you were trying to just write a book and to make it all come together, we've got tons of different authors, sixty six different books, you couldn't possibly do it. It would be impossible to make it all it whole hold together in a coherent way. It's the the amazing beauty and the gift of scripture, amen, that we have. 
And one great example, um, I've talked about this before, but I'll talk about it again because it just always blesses me and always speaks to me. One great example uh, of prophetic scripture is Psalm, Psalm 22. There's just an amazing parallel between what's written in Psalm 22 and about what ends up being fulfilled uh, by Jesus um, at the cross. So we're just going to look at just, just a few of the verses uh, from that this morning. So Psalm 22, verse 1. There we go. My God, my God, why have you... This is written by David, thousands of years before, by King David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries uh, of anguish? I believe that Jesus was directly quoting this on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a direct reference uh, to Psalm, Psalm 22. And, and a lot of people would have known, known the Psalms um, inside out. It's a direct reference of this is, this is now being fulfilled. This wasn't just, and I'm sure God uh, saw him at that stage, Jesus did feel abandoned. You know, he was asking that as a genuine question. He, 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 in one sense, he did feel forsaken because he was just there, you know, and all the, uh, the you know, the cruelty and, and horror, you know, of the cross. But also was, was specifically referencing Psalm 22. Verse 7 to 8 in Psalm 22 says this, All who see me, they mock me, they hold insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let them deliver him since he delights in him. And we see that fulfilled. And, and, and some of the religious leaders were goading Jesus and, and trying to humiliate Jesus. And like, if you're the son of God, why don't you get yourself off the cross? You see those things you know, specifically fulfilled. And where they, they mocked him and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And that was all about mocking him as the king of the Jews. And then they put, they put the, obviously the sign above his head. You know, this is, this, is, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. They didn't believe that. They were just they, they were mocking him. In saying it, didn't know they were fulfilling scripture and the reality of who Jesus actually was, but they, they were doing it to mock him. They made him wear a robe again, just mocking him, mocking him as a king. And as they struck him and spat at him, they pulled out his beard and did all the horrific things that they did and, and whipped him. And it was all about trying to humiliate him. You see this, this kind of prophesied here, verse 7 to 8. Verse 14, Psalm 22 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joy, and my heart has turned to, to wax, it has melted. Within me, uh, uh, just a great prophecy of the, the, the reality of the cross and that the journey to the cross and, and all that Jesus went through when he, when he was beaten and the um, 39, uh, 39 lashings that he would have received as well. It was also brutal. And a lot of people, it was so brutal, a lot of people died during the lashing phase. They didn't even get to crucifixion. That's how brutal the Romans, Romans were. A lot of people never even got to crucifixion stage. Verses 16 to 18. Psalm 22, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I mean, if that's not a direct prophecy, what is? They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And that directly happens, doesn't it? It says they cast a lot for Jesus' clothes. It was assumed that he was naked on the cross. And, you know, all those things were, were fulfilled. Amen. And verse 31 says, They proclaim his righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, he has done it, or it is finished. Amen, it is done, it is over, it is, it is complete. Amen, and of course Jesus declares that himself, doesn't he? It is finished, it is done, the work that he had come. There was still the resurrection to come, of course, that's true. But all that Jesus has come to, to do and to, to fulfill and, and to pay the price for our sin, to be that perfect, to be that perfect uh, you know, lamb that takes away the sin of the world was fulfilled when Jesus declared, it is finished. It's an incredible psalm, amen? It's an incredible prophecy about who Jesus was, okay? 
So we haven't got time to look at all the scriptures. Um, I'm going to have a handout next week that I'll give out next week. It's kind of got a whole list of all these different... So if you've got these verses down, brilliant. Okay, but I will give a, um, a handout next week. It's got, even, it's got even more. It's loads more than the ones I mentioned this morning about prophecies, about who Jesus was going to be. Amen. So it's really important to us to have correct understanding of who Jesus is, to have correct Christology, to use a long word, okay? Because it reveals to us that Jesus was not just a man, not, not just, even just a good man, okay? But he was the Messiah or the Christ, the anointed one of God himself, amen? That's who Jesus was, who he was, he, he was, was when he was on the earth, and he still is today, amen? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Amen. It reveals Jesus part of the, the Trinity, the eternal Godhead. Amen. We understand that, that God is, is the, the Father, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's God, God in three, God in three persons. Amen. And it confirmed that Jesus left heaven to save us in fulfillment of the scriptures. You know, and these things, you know, and we can just kind of study that kind of stuff and we think, well, yeah, this is all this is all brilliant, this is great, great theology, but you know, this needs to affect our lives. You know, everything that, everything that God does should affect our lives, right? Every time we read scripture, it should affect our lives. Everything in the Bible is, is life applicable, amen? It should, it should change us. It should, it should make us new. You know, it should affect our worship. As we go into a, into a song in a minute, it should affect our praise and our worship, our understanding of who Jesus is, what he has truly done for you. That, the, you know, that as part of the Trinity, that is, with, their, with their creation has always existed, is eternal. You know, Jesus carries all the same attributes. We talked about before about the attributes of God, that he's you know, immutable and omniscient, omnipresent, um, omnipotent, uh, and eternal. You know, Jesus has all those same attributes, as does the, as does the Holy Spirit as well. And obviously, all parts of the triune God all have those same attributes. Uh, Jesus is, is, is eternal, has always existed. He's not, he's not created. Okay? He's always been and, and always will be. But that should change the way that we worship him. It should change our prayer life. Uh, it should change our perspectives of our circumstances. You know, I know a number of you are just struggling with some stuff right now in, in, in your life, and they may be very real, or they are very real situations. But this should start changing our perspectives on, on these situations. And then when God looks at our circumstances, he looks at them in a completely different way to the way we look at them. And when we start getting a revelation of who Jesus is, the, the eternal God, the part of the eternal Godhead, is always been, always will be. I mean, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We see that all, the, all he did on the earth, all the people he restored and redeemed and healed and, and made new and set free throughout the Gospels. That should encourage us today, amen, because he's still the same Jesus, amen? The same Jesus then and he's the same Jesus now. That should encourage us in our prayer life, what we believe in God for. If he can do it then, why can't he do it, why can't he do it now? We, we, even, we sang that this morning, didn't we, as a declaration. I've seen you do it before. I know you can do it again. I know you can move the mountains. So Jesus talked about it, didn't he? He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be gone. And Jesus wasn't talking about commanding hills to, you know, to go into the sea. He was talking about stuff that's going on in our lives and circumstances and situations. Amen? It should change our whole approach to Jesus, knowing that we're saved and we're healed and restored, the reality of what he did on the cross for us. Amen? What he went through for us. It should change our expectations. You know, when we come before Jesus in prayer, just in our, in our daily lives, understand that he's always there with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Everything he said is true. Everything he promises is true. Amen. And the Bible says in, in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. Jesus was fulfillment of that. Amen. It should affect our worship, our prayer life, our, our approach to God, our expectations of God. 
knowing that everything he says about himself is true. And if we truly get a deep revelation and real revelation of, of who Jesus is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, this will completely radically change our lives. We live this out on a daily basis. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're amazing, Jesus. You're incredible. Lord, and we thank you. You're the same yesterday. Lord, you're the same today. And you'll be the same forever. Thank you. You're totally consistent, Lord, in who, in who you are. Lord, you're totally faithful in who you are. Lord, it's the very character, Lord, of who you are. Oh, God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, Lord for, your, for your pre-existence. Lord, we thank you, Lord, you were there, Lord, at your creation. Lord, you were there when we were knit together in a mother's womb, as as David writes in Psalm 139. Lord, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, you've seen every single thing that's happened in our life, Jesus. You were there there when we were born. Lord, you were there in our formative years. Lord, you were there in our teenage years. Lord, you have been there, Lord, throughout the decades. You've always been there. You've seen every single thing that's that's happened. You've seen every mistake, every, every circumstance. Lord, you know. Lord, we thank you for that incredible truth. Lord, we thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for all those prophecies that were about you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, you fulfilled every single one. Lord, every single one about who you were promised to be. Lord, just think about John the Baptist who said, look, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, and that's what you did for us. It's a perfect Lamb of God. Lord, you took our sin to that cross. You took our shame to that cross. You took our pain to that cross. You took our past, Lord, to that cross. Lord, all for us. Lord, you didn't do it for your own benefit. You did it for us. Lord, you said it, the scripture says it was for the joy set before you and endured the cross. Lord, it was for the joy, Lord, of what was coming on the other side. The joy, Lord, that the, the we bring you joy today. Lord, because of what you did. Lord, for the joy of those people, Lord, to be saved. Lord, of us, Lord, 2,000 years later, Lord, who'd be here this morning, Lord, that brought you joy 2,000 years ago. Lord, and we thank you for that incredible reality. Lord Jesus, give us a deeper and deeper, Lord, just personal revelation of who you are. Lord, and may that affect every area of our lives. May it affect our worship. May the way we, we, the way we praise and worship and come before you, Lord, may it change that. May it change our prayer life. May it change our whole approach with you, knowing that we are loved and accepted by you, Lord. May it change our, our expectations, Lord, when we come before you. Lord, if you've done it, Lord, something before, Lord, you can do it again. Lord, what you did 2,000 years ago, you do it again because you're the same. Yes, yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, what you still, Lord, you're still in the business, Lord, of changing people's lives. Lord, of people encountering you and you radically changing them. We see that, Lord, over and over again through the Gospels. Lord, and you're still in the business of doing that. Lord, we thank you for that incredible reality. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, speak into our hearts. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Lord, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the Christ, anointed for, for our benefit so that we could be free and that we could be whole. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're just so, so thankful. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.